Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. My aim was to connect uh, different medical journals from Europe, which were owned by the organization that was publishing the, the magazines. How much it takes to put a medication management system in a hospital. It's a process that lasts from seven to nine months. And if you manage to do that in such a time frame, you are extremely successful. Who is going to create a vaccine and are we finally going to get to a better new normal that we so crave for? Today's episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Inc., where digital healthcare is their niche. Whether you're looking to implement remote patient monitoring in-house, start a chronic or principal care management program, or even leverage telehealth to optimize the delivery of care and outcomes for your patients and team, Chirpy Bird Inc. can help. They offer results-based solutions for practices and health systems to support docs and patients during this uncertain time. You can find them and all of their services online at chirpybirdinc.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where we're dedicated to amplifying the career journey, accomplishments, and lessons learned of women everywhere. I'm your host, Joy Rios. And I'm your other host, Robin Roberts. During the day, together we run a health IT consultancy known as Chirpy Bird Inc., where we get to geek out on all things healthcare, technology, and policy. But along the way, Joy noticed that so many women were running organizations, but too few were leading or being recognized. So we decided to change that. Together, we're learning about the puzzle that is healthcare and sharing what we find with you, our listeners. You can expect us to be talking with some pretty badass women. We will even be exploring how the pandemic is impacting many of their professional lives this season. We've also formed a private community of both guests and listeners over on Slack to help make connections, offer support to one another, and share the resources we come across. If you want to join us, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com forward slash community. This week's community shout out goes to Alana, Stephanie, and Marissa. And this week's high five goes out to Ashley, who's a huge supporter of women in health IT in general, but definitely of the Hit Like a Girl community. So high five, Ashley. All right, enough already. There are too many awesome women to talk with. Let's get started. This week, we're sharing our conversation with Shaza Jacques, our first international-based guest. She's a former journalist, podcast, and digital health evangelist based out of Slovenia. We learned a lot about blockchain and about how healthcare around the world is tackling COVID. All right, let's get started. Shasha, thank you very much for joining us today. We like to kind of 
present to all of our guests and listeners how complicated healthcare is. And we often remark about how it's like a thousand or 4,000 piece puzzle. And it's kind of impossible for any of us to be an expert in everything. So this is our way of learning about each of the individual pieces and trying to find ways that they fit together. So can you please take a moment to introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about your piece of the healthcare puzzle so we can talk about it. Okay. First of all, thanks a lot for for having me on a show. I really love that you are putting the focus on women because there's a lot of great entrepreneurs and leaders. It's very inspiring to hear their stories. So about me, I'm actually a journalist by background. I studied journalism and then while I was already working as a journalist when I was studying, my editor uh, suggested that I should specialize for something. So I decided that I will do a master's in healthcare management and economics because I've been a chronic patient since I was 14 uh, years old. And I thought, well, you know, if I'm in the healthcare system on a regular basis anyway, I might as well try to understand it a little bit better. So I did that and I also went on a student exchange in France to learn more about uh, different systems um, around the world. And then I started working as a medical journalist for a Slovenian uh, medical journal, which was aimed at doctors and pharmacists. So we mostly uh, talked with uh, doctors to learn more about the new clinical guidelines, novelties in therapies, how uh, is just the progress of medicine happening, and also what are the healthcare challenges that are that uh, the healthcare professionals are faced with. And uh, after doing that for four years, I started thinking that while I really like how, as a journalist, you can get a really broad perspective of of uh, healthcare, you are still, in a way, scratching the surface. So I really wanted to uh, dig more into a specific problem. And I was uh, asked to join a digital health startup that was working on on a blockchain. And uh, we had this this big idea of how to solve global interoperability and the issue of patients being let out of the equation in monetization of their data. And uh, I did that for a year. So after that, I joined the company that I'm currently working at, which is Better. It's a Slovenian company that, in short, is also designing solutions using an open EHR standard, which in essence means that the data is structured and vendor neutral. And I'm a part of the team that's working on a medication management system for for hospitals. So that's kind of the professional story that I have behind me. But I think one very important part of it is also the fact that while I was still working as a journalist, I started a podcast that was around digital health. So yeah, my aim was to connect different medical journals from Europe, which were owned by the organization that was publishing the the magazine. And when I left that company, I felt that I still want to continue this work. So this kind of helped me stay in journalism a little bit more and allow me to research digital health on top of what's in my everyday work. That's kind of not a very short story, but that's the introduction that I can give you. I love your story because in our professional lives, we are health IT nerds. 
like that is what we do. That is where we geek out, both in the technology and policy space. And we always love talking to fellow podcasters. But you have to help some of our listeners understand who are mostly here in the U.S. Talk to us maybe about some of the biggest realizations or things you've covered that how they vary between countries or between nations, because you just pointed out a great one, even with, you know, at Better Care IT, if anyone wants to look, which are the open data standards of even an EHR. I mean, that's a huge one because here in the U.S., when we talk about data, everybody wants it shared, but most of the vendors are saying, mine, mine, mine. They don't want to share with anyone. There's a lot of discussions. I recently had a, an interview where a healthcare executive from Canada said that she feels that vendors should work more with vendors, you know, because everybody is designing these um, one-point solutions. And then you have the user in the middle who needs to learn to use 100 systems that are potentially not connected to each other. So it's terrible. And that uh, her thought really stuck with me because... I really started thinking that while everybody believes that interoperability is something that, that needs to happen and needs to be encouraged more, it seems, at least to me, a lot of times that vendors are patient-centric until they have to be patient-centric, you know, to work more together and faster together. Obviously, not everything is grim, it may sound. So, for example, the NHS, which is one of the markets that our medication management system is uh, present, in. Uh, NHS is doing a lot on interoperability and to increase the connectivity on data. And quite recently, our team won a hackathon where they show that it's possible by using standards to connect basically the GP system, the EPS system that allows doctors to send uh, prescriptions to pharmacies directly, which is really, really, really helpful for the patient and for the doctors in the hospitals when they're prescribing medications, because one of the largest challenges is to create the uh, gathered re uh, so medication reconciliation where you would clearly know what the patient is taking and what not because data is just scattered there's uh, supplements that people are taking people might know how their people uh, how their pills look like but won't remember uh, the names you know so it's an actually a long process to do that but uh, just to go back to the differences in healthcare systems i really am just you know fascinated by the complexity of the us healthcare system and that's a partially because our system, so in Slovenia, is very centralized. One thing that is important to emphasize is that Slovenia is a very small country. You know, we have two million people and that's not something that should not be taken into account when assessing how successful a country is in interoperability. So, for example, Estonia is also a small country, so I wouldn't say that's not an important factor contributing to why uh, they are so successful in their uh, healthcare digitization. So, you know, it's really unfair to compare, let's say, Estonia to a huge country such as the US. But to go back to Slovenia for a second, we actually have quite a few things available in terms of digitization. So for years, 
we've had an interoperable backbone. So now, basically, if I go to a specialist, the discharge letter is going to end in that backbone. So at any time, I can just use the internet and the, all the safety measurements for safe login and check which prescriptions I currently have in the pharmacy, what are the diagnoses that I have, what medications I'm taking. And all the doctors, in theory, can also see that. So that's quite something that I take for granted. It has obviously been developed over time, but I see that it's not something that uh, is self-evident in many other countries. And for example, uh, Germany is uh, a country that uh, especially European countries are uh, looking very closely at at the moment because the latest healthcare minister, Ian Spahn, who became the minister in 2018, he he managed to shift the development uh, from the political perspective. So I think a lot of times, as you've also seen with Obamacare, the big issue when it comes to how can you improve healthcare, the big issue is the political will to do so. You know, it's just, it's so difficult. And then you as a politician, you can't really force healthcare providers to work differently or if you do decide to do that somehow you're definitely not gonna be looked at nicely to put it mildly. Jenschmann actually managed to make it possible that since last year that a law was passed that now enables doctors to prescribe apps and they need to be reimbursed by any healthcare statutory health insurance company. CNBC actually did quite a few few nice videos about some European uh, systems. So, for example, in Germany, you've got 100 statutory uh, health insurances, but the health insurance is mandatory. So, in a way, you are on the safe side of not being afraid that you're going to be bankrupt by the healthcare costs. And at the same time, you have the choice to, to choose which healthcare provider you're going to go to. And so for in Slovenia, for example, it, it's completely different because we just have one insurance, main insurance company for uh, mandatory health insurance. And we don't, it's not a perfect system, far for it. None of the systems are, but it basically covers enough that you don't have to worry about co-pays for medications or co-pays for any medical procedure. It's quote unquote free healthcare. Yeah, it's uh, amazing for me to to see how unfortunate um, a lot of people are in the US with lack of insurance or just having an insurance but being uh, underinsured. I could go I mean, on like for hours probably. <laughs> I, I no. would listen for hours and I will say when you say you're perplexed by the US health system, I think that makes three of us. Yeah, I, I'm Absolutely. sure that's true. Well, it's nice just to hear and to, to talk with somebody who has... A perspective like you do because you're able to clearly see how different countries are working and what is working and what isn't. And I can imagine from anybody who's got, you know, the quote unquote free health insurance in their country looking in on the U.S. system has got to just be completely mind boggling of like, you know, turn your head upside down, like, wait, how does it work again? So, yeah. 
Yeah, it's uh, for, so from from uh, from my view, I always say that I have a huge love hate relationship uh, with uh, the U.S. So I uh, in 2016, uh, my boyfriend and I we went to the U.S. to hike the Continental Divide, so the trail that goes from the Mexico border to the Canadian border, and that took so he did the whole trail, the whole 5,000 kilometers, which took him half a year, and I did three and a half months and 3,500 hundred kilometers and obviously you are in uh, the wilderness for uh, long periods of time but in the meantime you also meet local people and you meet local people from a very you know small places and I just loved uh, also by meeting other hikers I loved the optimism that the American culture has that um, attitude that you can actually be whatever you want to be and that no matter what you do it's never too late to reinvent yourself you know so that's just really 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 inspiring but then you know as a someone who is working in healthcare and is researching healthcare I think is just you know heartbreaking to see how the system is structured and with the intermediaries and with so many organizations that have a say in how the healthcare is structured, it, that also means that there's a lot of opportunities for startups that are solving small problems, you know. So to me, it seems that the system is so, so broken. Yeah, that's the word that's that's often used so it's so broken that you can think of tons of solutions that are actually going to solve a real problem but the higher problem so the wider problem which is how healthcare is structured is not being addressed really because that has to be addressed with through the the political means and you know changing the whole healthcare structure is really 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 difficult not just in the US but anywhere because systems get designed through years and years and are influenced by culture and the fact that freedom is one of the main values in the US you know it's you can't just i understand why you can't force people to agree to a mandatory health insurance hey there sorry to interrupt if you like the vibe of this podcast you're gonna love our private slack community it's super supportive ladies only pod where we offer real talk real advice and genuine engagement to our members to help them stay inspired and level up to join, just go to hitlikeagirlpod.com forward slash community. All right, now let's get back to the show. I think we're all kind of experiencing the unintended consequences of that perspective of the freedom aspect of the ability to do whatever you want, but then realizing that a system is working almost precisely as it was designed is very it doesn't necessarily have the best results for the many and that's something that we experience and are experiencing more and more through this time of covid Mm -hmm. in particular one thing that i thought was really interesting in this whole story was when i recently heard that you know when you're hospitalized there's actually when and when you have to sign forms and consents to treatment there's also consent to payment that you get to sign, but you actually don't necessarily need to sign it. 
and there's restrictions on how much you can be charged if you don't sign that. So that was kind of one thing that I thought was really interesting about uh, a useful information, you know, for the healthcare consumers in the U.S. How does journalism come into play with everything that you're doing now, not just with the podcast and talking about these things and then the open EHR, how does that come into your everyday life? If I talk like in, in a professional sense, as in working in healthcare IT, I think it's hugely beneficial because if you are a journalist, you are usually, at least this is why I went to journalism, curious about people, curious about how they think, how they work, why problems occur, what are the solutions, where do improvements or where do challenges arise and what are the barriers to a better world, to just put it um, very broadly. So, you know, going from that perspective into healthcare IT, where it's just so important that you understand the users when designing solutions, that you are interested in what they need and don't just create solutions based on your assumptions. I think it's just hugely, hugely beneficial to have uh, these skills. And also, you know, one issue is that uh, so every specialty has its own jargon. So, for example, healthcare IT people speak in their specific language. So medical doctors have their jargon. So I think sociologists or just uh, soft sciences can be very, very useful in healthcare IT, especially since it's very clear that when it comes to digital transformation, the reasons are rarely technical. They are more often connected to cultural change, you know. So if you want to lead and understand cultural change and not be frustrated by it, it's useful to have this kind of more humanistic understanding of how people work. So I just, I'm constantly fascinated by the hurdles that occur in healthcare and um, what are the reasons that um, things don't happen quicker than they do. So for example, if I just mentioned uh, how much it takes to put a medication management system in a hospital. It's a process that lasts from seven to nine months. And if you manage to do that in such a time frame, you are extremely successful. So it usually takes a lot longer. And the reason is that, first of all, in healthcare, everything is happening fast. Everything has to happen now. It's a stressful environment. And it's difficult to find time to teach people how to use an IT solution, no matter how much it might help them. Secondly, a lot of healthcare IT, unfortunately, is very, very poorly designed. So bad user experience is obviously going to hinder adoption of solutions. So it's these kind of issues that I think are really important when you're trying to address solutions and also your own expectations as to how fast you can get something to the market and to adoption. I also often think that there are things that we can hear but don't understand until we work with them. So one such thing is leadership or being patient-centric or being user-friendly. But like... Leadership, for example, is something that 
that people hear a lot about, but to actually become a leader and to drive change is a completely different game. It's difficult to learn and uh, having specific communication skills, having specific understanding helps. So that's kind of where I think the social part of knowledge can can be very, very helpful. I love all that. And, you know, it sounds like you have so much experience. What And you've dabbled into so many different areas and your perspective is clearly very, you know, comprehensive. How are you spending your day-to-day now? What is it that you're working on in this moment to to be part of health IT and healthcare industry? When COVID uh, began and we when we went to lockdown, that was in March here, and the lockdown lasted for two months. And then basically we managed to get the numbers of COVID cases down so much that we've basically been working more or less normally since the end of May. Yes. So we are going in the office. We are trying to work as normally as possible, obviously, virtually with our clients across uh, the world. But apart from that, it's very close to business as usual. So the way I'm spending my days is basically working further on medication management And um, I have a small son, so he's 16 months old. So that's something that I spent a lot of time uh, dealing with. So yeah, that's kind of it. And obviously the podcast, which uh, which I'm doing and trying to research uh, the world further. So I uh, recently did a a series about digital health in South America because it's one of the rare continents that I haven't been to yet. So I was really curious to to learn more about that. So I've got four episodes about that coming up. I just want to remark on what Joy said, which is just the depth and expansion of knowledge. And you really seem to have a thirst for learning about all the things you're covering, especially, I think, the juxtaposition of them across the globe and how people are doing things differently in different places. What advice would you give to another woman that, you know, wants to do what you're doing or be involved in some of the things you're working on? One thing that I think is very useful, and it's also what you're doing, I think it's very uh, helpful to connect to other women. I think there's so much power in us supporting each other. And um, also just uh, the way I kind of expanded uh, my own network was simply by visiting conferences and uh, trying to meet new people, which is also how I started working with a few accelerators. And I'm in contact with various European and Israeli conference organizers. More people, more know. And the more people you have in your network, the more people you can ask for advice. So that's kind of what I would say. And I would definitely say that they should join your community because I know that it's a safe place where you can just ask for advice to, to and connect to other members. You know, we just started that this year during COVID and realizing, you know, there there's a way that's sort of out of the public eye off of LinkedIn or any of the social media where we want to be able to connect with each other and just kind of support each other on a or one-on-one or one-to-many basis without, you know, the eyes of the public really being part of it. And so I don't think we've talked about it much on the podcast, but for any listeners who are unaware, we do have a Hit Like a Girl pod Slack 
community that you are more than welcome to join. So we would, we would, we're trying to build it up and really just find ways that we can support each other. So thank you for being part of it. It that meant a lot. I have one last question for you, and that's really something that we ask all of our guests. And I'm really curious to know what your answer is because we want to know based on your place and, you know, and the perspective that you have, which I'm very impressed with all of your knowledge that we've learned about you just to date. If you had a magical wish, like based on the problems that you see the healthcare you know, healthcare that that we face, what problem would you solve if you could snap your fingers or wave a magic wand or take all the barriers, you know, solving that problem away? My wish is actually truly something that could only be solved with a magic wand. So that is for fake news and misinformation to stop existing because I think that's hindering the healthcare systems and the healthcare providers so much. You know, we've got doctors on the front lines that are dealing with COVID patients. And on top of that, they have to deal with COVID patients that don't believe COVID is real. They've got patients that think that they're trying just to make money out of them by saying that they have a COVID diagnosis. We are now, you know, in the middle of the whole world trying to figure out if um, who is going to create a vaccine and are we finally going to get to a better new normal that we so crave for. And then you've got this huge anti-vax movement that makes you wonder that are all the millions and billions that are going into vaccine development even going to help? So if that would be solvable, I would be incredibly happy. The malalignment, I think, of human perspective against science, I guess it's personal belief, but a very real public threat is if that could all be reconciled and obsoleted or solved, I think that would not just solve COVID, it would solve a lot of problems. And I like to think there's a simple solution out there that, you know, if someone couldn't be vaccinated for medical reasons or chose not to, that we could just do a much better job with this than we're already doing. And so it's definitely challenging. And I feel bad for the people that are the face of science and the face of healthcare that are trying to push forward and do better and educate people while, while real harm is being done too to patients, their families, and their loved ones. It's, um, it is a very challenging time. So I could not agree with your wish more. And I think that's a, a very important one. It's uh, not a new problem, you know. So when we look at the developed countries, it's the fact that a lot of misinformation comes from social media. It's really difficult to imagine what kind of solution could solve that. And unfortunately, people believe uh, those kind of conspiracy theories. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And we're seeing a lot of like public health officials who have been lifetime, you know, dedicated to their work starting to drop out just because they've received so much backlash around this. It's really disheartening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially yeah. at this time. Yeah. yeah. It's terrible. I saw a report about that. It's, it's, it's just yeah scary that they got all the threats and everything. Absolutely. But you know, 
<laughs> on the positive side, so we don't end up in such a grim tone. I do think there's a lot of uh, positive things that are happening in healthcare. It's fascinating to see how technologies are improving it. I totally uh, am uh, a fan of seeing how natural language processing in combination with voice technologies is going to make the lives of healthcare professionals, doctors, easier uh, while at the same time bringing in better structured data that's going to enable better analysis and uh, faster improvements in, in healthcare. So there's still a lot to be optimistic about. Yeah, I think those tools that can really, it, it almost becomes an amplifier of their time and them as a resource, not just to keep practicing at the top of their license, but just to really be able to hone in and focus on patients when those tools are well-designed and working for them. I share your excitement about that because I think the systems and physicians that will be able to leverage that anywhere in any country will just really optimize healthcare, which I, I truly believe is between a physician and a patient at the end of the day to allow them to do what they do best, which is take care of people. Exactly. So, Tiasha, if people would like to work with you, they want to connect with you, they want to learn more about what you're doing, Tell us, tell everyone, what is the name of the podcast? What are your Twitter handles? How can they get in touch? So I guess the easiest way is through LinkedIn, where they can find me under my name. It's not that common name that you would get the thousands of uh, hits uh, through it, though there are 10 Tiasha's sites in, in Slovenia. The name of the podcast that I do is Faces of Digital Health, and you can go to www.facesofdigitalhealth.com to browse through other episodes. I also always prepare recaps of the show so it's easier to read through something if you're interested and then listen. And my Twitter handle is at Z-A-J-C-T-J-A-S-A. Well, thank you very much. And as I see, I, it looks like you're coming up on your 100th episode. There is a lot of good stuff out there, some very technical things, but even about spreading information in healthcare and medicine on TikTok. So I feel like if you are a health IT nerd, you like geeking out on this stuff where you're part of the community and you just want to learn more, that your podcast is a great resource to do that with. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I loved uh, chatting with you and I'm sure we'll continue the discussion in your community. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon. Thank you to Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting. You can find out more about them at www.chirpybirdinc.com.